The Inside Learning Podcast is brought to you by the Learnovate Center. Learnovate's research explores the power of learning to unlock human potential. Find out more about Learnovate's research on the science of learning and the future of work at learnovatecenter.org. Virtual reality isn't a new technology. It's been around for decades. However, it's only recently that we've begun to experience the efficacy and power of VR. Key applications exist in the consumer space in both commercial and enterprise markets, but our guest is here to talk to us about the untapped potential of learning. Jason Haddock is CEO of Sozo Labs, which incorporates VR into education and learning. Jason, you're very welcome to the Inside Learning Podcast. Thank you, Aidan. It's great to be here. And before we start, I just have to say I'm never going to pronounce VR the same way again. I just love the <laughs> Irish accent. It's VR. Uh, from henceforth and forthwith, I shall be using that. I've lived abroad, so you can imagine what my or would have been like if I didn't do it that way. So I'll, I'll say virtual reality from now on. I wanted to just give a bit of context because I mentioned there about how old VR is. And we're, we're kind of experienced this kind of new dawn of AI with ChatGPT, etc. And it's kind of taken the light off VR. And VR has been there for such a long, long period of time. But as you mentioned in some of the white papers I read on your website, and indeed your own podcast, it's been untapped as a potential source of education, but also education in the workplace, which is so important today more than ever before. Part of me is glad that AI has captured the spotlight uh, because I feel that one of the one of the worst things that technology can be subject to is hype and, and buzz. And I think 2022 was definitely the year of Web3 and the metaverse and everybody thought that it was, you know, once again, the resurgence of immersive technologies. Our, our take on it has always been that technology is an enabler. If you don't have a problem, technology is not going to solve solve something. You've, you've got to have a real problem, and then technology is the enabler that comes along and solves it. So you're right, VR has been around for quite some time. It's, it, uh, its resurgence started back in 2016, and, and you know, it's, it's been around now for about seven, eight years in its uh, rejuvenated form. And the, the reason that I really enjoy VR, especially, I mean, we do, you know, we work with both augmented reality and virtual reality and other types of immersive technologies. But one of the things that I'm always a little bit skeptical of is when technology is used for, you know, flashy light type scenarios. Um, and, and I've developed a lot of those types of applications, especially back in 2017, 2018, when when VR was still very much in its hype cycle and everybody came to me and, uh, and wanted to have VR applications built that would help attract customers to their trade show stand or to their booth or do some brand activation. And those were fun, but it didn't take long to realize that the customers never asked us to do a second or third project. And the reality there was you know, it, it wasn't really solving a problem. It wasn't delivering any value for anybody. And for for many years, I think there was a lot of disillusionment in the immersive tech space. And I was quite disillusioned, which is why, much like um, Bugs Bunny, I took a left turn at Albuquerque and went in a different direction with my career. And then 
recently, about two years, came back to the VR space. And, and I was very hesitant at first because I wasn't sure if, if we were still in the same hype cycle. But one of the most profound experiences I had um, just before I did my slight career change was that I, I did an educational product for a steel manufacturing plant. And I didn't think about it very deeply at the time, but um, we, we essentially built a solution for them in VR to almost act as the Harry Potter sorting hat. So they they had um, you know, they, they came to us like many customers is uh, we want VR. Why do you want VR? Well, it's it's cool. We want VR, and and I sat with we sat with them and said essentially like just tell me tell me what your problems are. And they explained that one of the biggest challenges they had was that they wasted a lot of money training people to work at heights who had ex- like fear of fear of heights or vertigo. And I said, would it be beneficial if we solved that problem for you? And they said, well, absolutely. You know, a lot of people don't realize that there's alternative and very viable training that they can do for on-the-ground types of, of work. And um, if we just knew that up front, we could save significant money. So we built this experience for them that essentially uh, helped identify people with vertigo. It was a fascinating project. The engineers at the steel plant got way, way excited and they built an entire rig for us so that when you were in the VR experience and you were going up in this elevator that took you to the top of this blast furnace, the floor, they they created a metal floor that would vibrate under your feet so you felt like you were really in an, an elevator you got out and and then they created these like um, uh, fans that would essentially behave like breeze fans. So you would feel the wind blowing in your face. So they had lots of fun with it. We all had lots of fun with it. But the important part was that it it delivered real business value. And within the first six to eight weeks, they had identified about eight people who uh, were experiencing certain signs of, of vertigo, anything from acute to just, you know, having having subtle science where their their quality of thinking was was um, essentially impacted when they were at heights. And that saved more than the actual amount spent on the project. So there is there's definite real value in this technology if the right use case um, is essentially solved with the right technology. And in this case, VR was the right technology. I'd love to dig a little bit into the aspect that the brain doesn't really know the difference between what's real and what's imagined and having a a kind of a way to dip into that world that hasn't you know like the like these engineers for example with vertigo dipping into a world that they just can't know because they can never have had that experience before and you for all the empathetic people out there you can't have such empathy that you can actually feel what it's like inside somebody else's skin and this is one of the real benefits that VR produces. It gives us this way of sampling an experience really in depth and going through all the emotions that come with that. And I think that's, it's often, as you said, you saw in the early days, painted off as this kind of uh, entertainment. But it's that learning, that real immersive learning that really provides unbelievable benefits. Absolutely. I mean, for anybody who who would think for one second that it's a gaming technology and it doesn't it doesn't blur reality from virtual reality, um, I I saw um, 
example of that playing out, um, and I'll, I'll use that that same project as an example midway through, because you know as you do, you take on projects and you don't really know if they're going to work or not. So we decided midway through um, because we were spending the customer's money to actually see if this was working, and we got a two groups typical AB study. The one group expressed that they definitely suffered from vertigo. The other group, we shall call them the macho group, um, said, I can basically you know, do cartwheels at a thousand miles up in, in the air and I'll, I won't have any issues. Now, the, the fascinating part for me is, is at the time I didn't think about it a lot, but subsequently I, I've realized how profound it was because imagine if you will, what um, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of one of these people, and you are walking into the typical kind of office that you would find on a steel manufacturing plant. Um, everything from the brown carpets that looked like they probably needed to be changed about five years ago, to the walls that needed a good paint. But you know that 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 is what it is when you go into those kind of, of manufacturing plants, and. We put, we put the headsets onto people and we essentially had them do this experience. And it was incredible to see that logically you would think a person's walked into an office and then no, there's carpet under their feet. Yeah, they, their brain can rationalize that they've walked into a room and they're standing on the ground. And for the people who had vertigo, the moment they walked into this elevator and they started going up, the panic just took them. And by the time they got out of the elevator at the top, some of them were on their hands and knees. Now, what's, what's even more fascinating is you're on your hands and knees, right? Your hands, your hands are touching carpets. So even your brain should be able to tell you, this is not a steel like uh, pylon that I'm standing on. It's, it's carpet under my hands, but their brain still refused to believe that this wasn't real. And because of that, um, we know that virtual reality really, you know, just uh, completely bridges that divide between reality and 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 learning in the virtual world. And and the 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 benefits you get from that is that when you're learning in that way, it's it's like experiential learning. You know, it, it's it's the way that we learn best as humans. You know, it's that first time you got onto a bike and you started to learn how to ride and your mom or dad let go and then you kind of turned around and realized that you were riding a bike right up until the point you realized they had let go and then you ended up in a rose bush. Or the other time when you were learning to swim and you know your your dad would just throw you in the deep end with your water wings and say, figure it out. You, you learn through experience. You never sat there and read a textbook on how to ride a bike or swim or watched a educational video. You know, you, you did it, you know, you learned by doing. And we know that that's the best way to learn. And part of the reason I love VR as a, as a teaching tool is because if you think about it and you take that forward and you wonder if we learn best experientially, why aren't we doing it more? Why are we learning in classrooms from a whiteboard? Why are we reading textbooks to study? And it's because experiential learning is, firstly, it's very difficult um, to, to scale because, you know, if, if we take, for instance, a mechanic working on a car engine, um, how do you train 500 mechanics who need 500 cars? Um, and then you need 500 experts mechanics to train those, in, those junior mechanics to figure out what they're doing. 
And then the frustrating part is, you know, say you're using one car and they're, te- they're training them how to replace the spark plugs um, or how to diagnose a problem in the car. Every time you want to train the next person, someone's got to go and manually reset that car back to its faulty state. Now, it, it's obviously the ideal way to learn, and that's that's how people and most, um, in this case, mechanics often end up doing it, is, is they see a problem in front of they fix it in hands-on ways, they learn through their mistakes, and, and next time they hopefully don't make that mistake. Um, with virtual reality, they, they are learning um, as if they would in the real world. And they are using the same actions, the same muscle memory movements that they would in the real world. So that when they come out of that learning, they feel more equipped to utilize that learning in a real world situation. Um, and they can do it as many times. So we know that one of the biggest things that people struggle with is this concept of mastery, of being able to move from rote learning to being able to, to really understand and master your ability to do something. And virtual reality, because it is an experiential learning device, allows us to achieve that mastery four times faster than we normally would through traditional learning because we're replicating the same movements we would in the real world. We're doing it as many times as we want to feel confident and we're doing it in a safe environment. And, and that's an important one as well because you know, in, in soft skills training, for example, there's very little safety in soft skills training. I mean, I'll tell you my experience in soft skills training, which was um, the baptism by fire, is you know, when I transitioned out of being um, the hardcore propellerhead basement freak computer geek programmer guy and did the inevitable kind of, of climbing the corporate ladder and becoming the dreaded manager, um, I had very little understanding of what soft skills were. And suddenly I started managing people. So I was put on all of these courses. And I remember that I, I, I was a victim of my own success. I became a manager of managers. Um, and I remember very acutely this one day I had two of my managers who, had, um, who didn't see eye to eye. And it was, it was quite a scary scene because I was you know, given instruction by the HR team to do some conflict resolution management on these people. I was given all the material, and then I sat in a room with these two people. And I remember I haven't been that terrified in my entire life, A, because I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, and B, because these two literally wanted to reach across the table and beat each other silly. And I sat in this this absolute high-stakes situation and reflected back on what I had actually done to get here. And I had I had done the typical conflict resolution course and the typical role-playing, which, you know, let's be honest, most of the time it's it's a bit of a joke. You know, people will sit in front of, of a group of 20 people and role-play something out and feel so self-conscious about all these people looking at them. You know, and it'll end up basically being a bit of a joke or someone you know, taking a very light approach. So imagine now you do the same thing in virtual reality where you're cut off from the world. There's no one sitting snickering at you if you make a mistake or say something silly. You can do it as many times as you want to try and make sure that in that situation, you know exactly what to say and what to do. And 
with with you know with that in mind, I think that the the confidence confidence building and the ability to achieve mastery is absolutely game changing when it comes to virtual reality. It's so important. I was going to ask you about the soft skills because most people's education experience was the teacher at the top, the sage on the stage. They're told what to do. They're given exercise to go off and. Firstly, I know it's a systemic problem, the way schools are set up. But we know about multiple intelligences, we know about Howard Gardner's work, we know about how we know about neurodiversity better than we've ever known before. We know that people learn at different speeds and different paces. And we've seen that during COVID where it was like a, a live planet wide experiment to try testing people learning at home. Some kids in particular thrived in that environment in their own environment because they were safe they did the psychological safety all that stuff but yet it's very very slow to make the changes happen and i read about a recent study where a, a teacher tried to bring in some type of new learning environment building in new skills etc and as soon as teachers parents started to go oh i don't like my kid being the person who's been experimented on and a little bit of pressure came on the school from a budget perspective they killed the program and i was thinking about the irony of there needs to be almost a vr for for those guys to see the world we're going into in order to build the skills for the kids today so they have those skills in the future and it's a real catch-22 and kind of philosophical question in a way but i'd love your thoughts on that because these are the difficulties it's getting over the line people to, to from the old system to the new system we know the old system is out of date it's not that it's broken it just was built for an old world one of my favorite quotes 1913 uh, thomas edison predicted that motion pictures would change education forever and the classroom of the future would slowly die and be replaced by motion picture. Over a hundred years later, not much has changed. So um, it's, it's, it's a fascinating philosophical conundrum for me why education always seems to be the laggard when it comes to embracing technology. Um, and it's, I think it sits in um, so many different factors. I mean, you use the word systemic issue. It definitely is a systemic issue. I mean, uh, the world is hyper competitive and parents are you know, so anxious about their kids. Um, and when new experiments are tried, they're worried about their long-term implications. I remember when my daughter was at school and they changed the system. Um, from what was called a CAP system to an IEB system, which was focused more on critical thinking skills, and all the kids' marks suddenly went down. You know, there was a massive pushback from the parents saying, how could you do this? How dare you? So that's a big, the big influencing factor because right? you know, nobody wants to, to hurt the, the flow of money. Um, teachers as well. We, we know that, you know, especially in school systems, that it's it's almost it's not almost it is more important to train the teachers than it is to train the kids because if the teachers don't understand the power of the technology or how techno the technology should be used there's a good chance it's never going to be adopted um 
but you know consumerism will always will always win out in the end um, and we saw it you know we've seen it in education in certain forms um, you know the the world of physical textbooks is is starting to to die it's taken a long time but but ebooks have almost largely replaced traditional textbooks uh, people are actually starting to embrace the internet. Um, I remember doing my master's degree and thinking, thank God I didn't have to go to a library to do my research. So there definitely has been a lot of technology adoption, but I, I do think that there's many factors that lead to the resistance of it. And and that's very sad um, because you know, it, it's it's not only in our school systems, it's it's also in our in our you know, corporate environments and our, our work is is the same applies but but with different maybe different root causes is you know it's it's the we've always done it this way um you know kind of good money after bad fallacy um where you know we don't want to change budgets are too low um and and like it or not the low the you know, e-learning has become a very, very prevalent form of teaching because it can scale massively and it's very cost-effective. Um, but you know, Gallup, the Gallup survey from a few years ago tells us that seven out of ten people in organizations globally feel that they lack the mastery of skills to do their jobs efficiently. So it's not working. You know, last year we had over sixty-one thousand fatal injuries. Um, and it's almost exclusively attributed to poor learning or lack of proper learning. And yet the, the crazy part is that I don't think I've met a single person who, who doesn't put learning as a, as a critical thing in their, in their career growth. So we all want to learn, but the way we learn isn't working. And, um, and VR is not a silver bullet. So I, I personally don't believe that VR should be seen as the as the the kind of knight in shining armor that's going to come and fix everything. VR, like everything else, has a place, and and I think that e-learning has a place, and and probably even textbooks and reference materials have a place. But it's it's whether or not you are using the right tool in the right place. And for VR, I think the the right place for VR is when you are looking at applied learning. So, you know, it's, it's, it's how I can essentially reinforce the learning. And, and you can, I mean, what, what I get frustrated with is, is people who think that, you know, they've, they've read a few stats about VR, like knowledge retention is 75% and you can learn up to four times faster and, you know, whatever the different stats are. And then they go and they take e-learning content and they just put it into VR and they automatically think that they've solved the problem. And that frustrates me because it, you know, VR again is not a tool; it's not a silver bullet. You've got to use VR in the way that it it makes sense. And you know, they talk about immersive technology, and, and that's the answer: is is you've got to teach people in an immersive way where they are interacting with the environment around them. And you know, the the reality is that we live in a three D world, so we should actually be learning in three dimensions as well. And most of the learning out there is still two-dimensional. So when we are applying that learning, when we're applying soft skills or when we're applying our hard skills, you know, it's VR presents a way for us to, to apply that learning in a way that we can repeat it safely as many times as we want and achieve mastery. And 
I don't think it's a place where we can sit and, and watch movies and videos and, and learn any better than we would by watching them on our computer screen. But it is a great place where when we're applying that learning in three dimensions and we want to create that that kind of blur between the real and the virtual, it's it's a it's the right technology to use. I was thinking about what you said in the white paper. Just like that first client you mentioned, the first thing you mentioned was actually kind of going, what do you want it to do? What problem do you want it to solve? That takes a little bit of courage because it shows that I want you to have the best solution that you need, but I need to know the problem in order to do that. While some people just want innovation theater, we would call it. It's just like, just want to be seen to be innovative. And I was thinking about that. I'm sure you see that even from a school's perspective where the school wants to show that it's being modern and oh, yeah, we have a 3d printer over there. And look at all the headsets we have over here. Yet nobody ever uses them, right? Once, once the parents sign up for that school and choose that school. And I wondered what good looks like. So from what you've seen, what does good look like? So again, principals or people who are in a position to actually fund this for schools, know where to look in the world what to look for because this is often one of the things there's as you said earlier that you have to teach the teachers as well because there's a mindset shift needed from them but sometimes they don't know what good looks like so therefore it'd be great to share any tips you have for them oh Aiden, that's a that's a big question um so for me, what in, in the simplest terms, what what good looks like is real real outcomes and real value has been achieved. And that's a very broad statement because it, it really depends on the situation. Um, if your intention is to to utilize, I mean, you know, if your intention is to actually get more kids to join your school and you want to show that you're doing shiny stuff with VR technology then you've solved the problem, right? But that's not the problem you ideally want to solve. Is in in schools as in in work is is you know what you really want to do is you want to build confidence. You want to build mastery. Um, you want people coming out with critical thinking skills, um, with the ability to apply learning. And that's a big problem. I think that's the, the biggest issue in education today is is confidence. It's, um, you know, th there are many schools who are solving critical thinking um, and doing a very, very good job of that. But I've been responsible for employing over the course of my career thousands of graduates. And almost without fail, it, it's a dirty secret in the industry that you end up basically retraining them that a lot of what they learned in university isn't something that you can apply in the working world. And it's very frustrating. And I've been involved in many uh, academic institutions trying to explain to them how to bridge that, that gap. And of course, the, the challenge, and I completely understand the challenge, is that you know, the, the very nature of skill, schools is it's inch deep and mile wide. They've got to have the most general applicable knowledge to, to allow the person to take on any conceivable role. And it's the same applies in tertiary education. So I, I get that it's a, it's a challenge. But, you know, if, if I think about um, 
on the TV today. Um, Rishi Sunak, the PM in the United Kingdom, is talking about how he wants more children to do mathematics. Now, that's that's a problem that's going to come with a huge uh, underlying complexity because they don't have enough math teachers. Um, they don't, you know, they don't. They know that that there are students who are just not naturally good at maths, but yet the underlying philosophy of every kid should have numerical literacy makes a lot of sense. So, you know, in in this world of, of why are kids not doing mathematics, again, that confidence level comes very much into play. Is uh, I, I remember in school, and my daughter was much the same, is mathematics was a really ta- challenging subject because you, you just have to have one bad year at school, one teacher who maybe doesn't explain it to you in a way that you can relate to and you can understand for you to fall behind in mathematics and suddenly the confidence is lost you feel like you're ice skating uphill the whole time and you know you just you eventually you know probably drop the subject or like me when you're super stubborn you belligerently kind of do it anyway um, and you take the blunt force trauma approach of just doing thousands and thousands of math sums even though you don't understand them but you know in in this type of technology the the question is not whether or not um, virtual reality can solve that problem because you know it's just a technology tool but how can how can something immersive maybe help us understand how to apply that learning so the biggest challenge for me if someone says you know um, basically 2x plus 14 equals 20 solve for x my first question is why what is that actually doing for me in the real world? You know, so I, I can figure out the answer, but but really, like, what am I actually figuring out? Where am I going to apply that? And I remember when I when I was doing my pilot's license, um, actually, I, I had um, all of these calculus conversations coming back at me, and I could finally see how calculus was applied because up until that, I got that it was a curve on a graph somewhere, and it was really not particularly interesting to me but being able to apply that mathematical knowledge and being able to see how these formulas influence the world around me suddenly brought mathematics to life and if we're looking at how virtual reality can essentially help and what what success looks like is being able to bridge that divide between rote learning and applied learning and starting to see not just what these mathematical formulas are and how they work and how you should solve them and what the approach is to solving them, but actually understanding critically why they exist and how you need to apply them in the world around you. You mentioned in the white paper many of the the acquisitions. So if you were clever, if you were to the untrained eye, you might not see that some of the big players like Apple are through various patents and acquisitions planning for a future that they can clearly see. And it, it absolutely involves VR and absolutely we know involves AI because everything will. But what does that future look like for from your perspective? And what do you see? And again, it's hard to know about timelines about these type of things, but what do you see 
in the in the coming years? I think for me, there's this word ubiquity, um, which applies to technology. And and at the moment, I think that what's what's maybe um, standing in the way of immersive technologies is the fact that they're not technically ubiquitous yet. And it means that I, I can't just use them on the fly. I've, you know, with spe- like augmented reality, I have it on my phone and I can, I can use it, but then I have to download an app or use a camera and go through a whole process and cognitively and mentally have to think about the fact that I want to do it before I do it. Um, so it is, I mean, all these technologies are inevitable. Um, you know, the, the, the benefits for me of, of blended technologies and the impact it's going to have on our future are profound. Um, I, I can see a world where the, everything from being able to utilize AI with VR and AR immersive technologies um, with all sorts of other really interesting things, you know, so... Um, and teachers are maybe going to dislike me for this, but you know, f- for me, the, the the future will be that we'll be able to access education on demand. Um, there will be some other avatar um, that acts and behaves with the same level of empathy a teacher does. That's automatically responsive to the way that the child learns best, and that. Our learning will go from instead of having a syllabus in front of us to be able to to kind of of give us the right contextual learning at the right time as we need it. So we've got a problem in front of us. We learn about that and we solve that problem in front of us. Um, and that'll apply all the way up to our our working lives as well. Is is um, when I'm you know when you're going into that situation where you're doing conflict resolution, you'll be learning. You know about it as on on needed basis. You'll be immersing yourself into a virtual world um, and interacting with some kind of of AI driven avatar, and and that's just the educational aspects. I, I do think that you know I I believe that we have a beautiful world that we live in, and I would never advocate that technology is going to replace that. I would rather actually be spending time climbing the side of a mountain or scuba diving or snowboarding than spending you know, two hours in a VR headset if given the opportunity. But I think that there is definitely a, a time and a place. Um, and I think the, you know, the, the future is that when this technology becomes ubiquitous and it just starts to become a natural part of our lives, you will you will go out for a cycle, and you won't need to look at your Apple Watch on your arm to see how far you've gone or you know what your heart rate is. All of this stuff is just going to be in front of you. This contextual information. You'll you'll go to a conference, and I'll I'll kind of walk up to you, and I'll see that your name is Aiden, and that basically you know you you like long walks on the beach and slipping pina coladas in the rain. And I'll be able to have uh, intelligent conversation with you, and and you know it'll it'll be an icebreaker of sorts. So for me, what this technology is 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 doing is it's it's creating this kind of abstracted virtual layer of this world around us where everything starts to have context. Um, virtual uh, virtual reality is is maybe a bit of the exception because in virtual reality we go to a different world. 
in augmented reality, we we work within the real world around us, but that just has additional context. And I think that there's a, there's a place for both. I mean, we love escapism as a species. You know, we go and we do everything from escape rooms to theme parks. So we absolutely thrive on escapism and virtual reality is just another um, way for us to to escape reality in a way. And and in, in terms of being able to create a rich, real-time, contextually relevant way of engaging with that technology, I think that's where AI comes in and starts to to bridge the gap, which I think is still very clunky. Now you've got to go into ChatGPT and you've got to type out something or you can use their whisper technology and use kind of speech to text, but it still has to be packaged up and sent. It's almost, you know, going to become completely ubiquitous. We go, it's, it's going to be something that, that we would use like our, um, our echo or our home pod. You know, it, it's just going to be there when we need it. Um, and I think it'll only be a matter of time before we start to get some really intriguing black mirror type scenarios where I, I do think <laughs> maybe very, um, yeah, I'm being very careful here, but I, I do think that at some stage, um, technology will become biological and that we will start to use the genome. I mean, the genome is already being used for data storage and for data transfer and, I think at some at some stage that the world of technology and the biological worlds will start to to blur a little bit, and that might be anything from human augmentation to to technology becoming more biological. So I think it's a fascinating world we live in. I can't wait to see the future. That point you made goes right back to what we started, with, which was it will be helpful for our children to understand this before that world is upon us because we'll need them to understand it and it will be a competitive advantage for them to not under understand it from an extrinsic perspective but intrinsically through using this immersive technologies then they'll really really understand it jason for people who want to reach out to you i mentioned that that white paper for example which is downloadable for free on your website where can they find you where can they find out more about your work etc Sure. We our website is sozolabs.com, S-O-Z-O-L-A-B-S.com. We have a uh, podcast called Immersive Tech in Business. And feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. Founder and CEO of Sozo Labs, Jason Haddock, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Edmund. It's been emotional. Inside Learning is brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. Learnovate is funded by Enterprise Ireland and IDA Ireland. Visit learnovatecentre.org to find out more about our research on the science of learning and the future of work.